Today I got to sit down with Andrew Whalen. Andrew, who's become a good friend of mine, is a 24-year-old realtor who has absolutely crushed it in terms of volume this past year. He's got some amazing insight and advice into succeeding in the real estate business and lays out how he has done exactly that. He's had some incredible success stories, so I'm super excited for you all to hear it. Today, Andrew's going to talk about some of the challenges and opportunities of being a young realtor and how to make it work in a tough market. He'll also be sharing some tips and tricks to grow and expand your reach in the industry, as well as some of his favorite resources. So without further ado, let's meet Andrew. All right, Andrew. Appreciate you coming on today, man. Yeah, absolutely. A little awkward here. Yeah, I know. I got this thing in the way. Yeah, <laughs> you can move it around if you want. Um, so have you on here. Um, I appreciate you coming on today. Um, you're the third realtor so far from Realty One Group in awesome. Bedford. Yeah. Um, and I love hearing all you guys' stories. I had, actually, I'm not going to tell you who I had on last until later. There's a reason for that. But um, one of the topics that we talked about a lot was the, like, the brotherhood that you guys have at your brokerage. And that's like one of the most fascinating things to me, just because, you know, we were just talking a minute ago about like how, you know, the competitiveness in it's you guys' office is it's unreal. Yeah. And it looks like it's panning off just from your stories and things I can see on Instagram. So tell me a little bit about how that brotherhood in that office has really shaped your career. Um, so I worked at Being Group for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And I switched because, well, I mean, I really didn't know too much about real estate. My broker, he left group about two months into me working there and this is during covid um so i zoom interviewed different agencies and when i had a very tough question about a purchase sale agreement because i was submitting an offer um he took 24 hours to get back to me i got him on the phone and he's like oh by the way i'm not your broker i'm like who is who do i go for for questions and so when i went into realty one group at the office i didn't just interview there I interviewed other places and I liked that I could grow my brand within the company versus it being more of a, I guess, uh, like, what do you call those? Um, well, like the, one of the smaller brokerages where you have five to 10 agents and like, it's all one group. Like they're like almost like uh, a team, but they're not. And so then when I joined, I really liked that I could always ask questions because uh, my desk is literally right across from my brokers. I can see him. He probably is so annoyed because I ask like 15, 20 questions a day. and Or I'm just ranting about some stupid shit. Because like I ha I closed a $702,000 deal in Londonderry and watched the other agent write that he did both sides. Not in MLS. MLS pin. Right? Really? Mass. So I couldn't even complain to anybody to change it. So Zillow wrote that I... Like, my past sales wasn't even there. So, when I did join, I was the, it was Josh and then me. So, it was just two of us younger agents in the office. And so, you were the first two young agents there. Yeah. Okay. So, the environment wasn't what it is now whatsoever, but it was enough. Like, I guess you could say um, our, what do you call him? You know, Jacob. Yep. So Jacob works in our office, but he was a like an office manager. So 
he worked there, but he wasn't an agent. He was licensed for a few years prior and then got into just dealing with the transactions for our brokerage and then is now back to being an agent. So it definitely changed the dynamic a lot because now we have him and a few other agents that are all our age. But to, I guess, really see when I was at being group, I would see these 40, 50, 60 year old agents do 10 million a year in their sleep. And it's like, my excuse is always, they have a sphere, right? Like they are established. Like I can't compete with them. And then to see other people putting deals on the board at our office that are my age, I'm like, there's no excuse. Like not at all. And so now being in the office, it's just like so competitive and I don't know where I read it, but like I read that people that are like the number one in their craft, whether you're like a Formula One car driver or like a pro basketball player, you have to want it more than anything. Like you're willing to sacrifice everything. And like your competitiveness is just crazy. Like, you'll see a Formula One car driver put himself in a position where he could literally crash and die to be number one. Right. And so I feel like I'm at that position where, like, I'll do anything. But, I mean, I hope that answers your question because yeah, <laughs> I well, kind of well, went on a No, little it rant. does. It absolutely does. It was – so, you know, that's kind of what I was trying to get at is, like, the competition. And it, it's like a healthy competition obviously like you guys have the board there and you know there is a difference between the younger agents and the older agents i mean that's a given you're right they have a sphere but what they don't necessarily have that's natural to them that's or that's not natural to them but is natural to us is what you said in the beginning of your explanation which was like a brand yeah right like you are able to create a brand on the backs of realty one like that's sort of especially having all the young agents there. And I, I, I know that brokerage as the young agent brokerage now. I feel like, like a lot of people look at us that way. And so it gives us like a, a good rep, but it also gives us like a bad rep just because you have these established agents at other brokerages and they they see that. So like you're writing up an offer or whatnot and they know of us or they don't like us because we have, I guess people that are, more frugal with their words all over social media so it it gives us a little bit of a bad rep for that stuff but um every once in a while like agents know we're willing to do anything to get the deal done right right and then then, yeah that's that's what i've kind of seen from you guys and you know i think that i mean i don't want to say that you guys were the pioneers of branding Obviously, that's that's a tale as old as time. But what I will say is that I think you guys kind of kickstarted this, like, at least in New Hampshire, in this part of New Hampshire, that sort of self-branding, social media content-driven um, marketing. Because prior to that, I didn't see a whole lot of it. I mean, I saw attempts at it. Yeah. But, like, a consistent schedule, like, truly ingraining it into who you guys are as agents and as a brokerage is you know clearly yet like i said you're known as i think the young brokerage yet you guys do a shitload of volume 
And there's a reason for that. Yeah. I mean, I found it also tough because a lot of people in my office, even if they don't have like a sphere, right? So like friends, family, relatives that are looking to buy and sell, there are people always complain like, oh, I don't have a sphere. And then I'm like, I would pay for your sphere that doesn't exist because I have so many family members in real estate. Like when people think of real estate, they think of my mom. My mom's an agent. Right. When I think of real estate, they think of my cousin, who's like the number two team in the state. Like I, nobody thinks of me. Like how am I going to market myself to my neighbors? They have those neighbors that aren't agents. I have my mom and my other neighbor that's an agent. And so it's like, how do I compete with that? And then how do I compete with everyone that I went to high school with or college and some of the people that I'm competing with in the office are just a couple years older than me, but they went to college and those college kids that they went to school with were going for like uh, medical stuff. So they come out a little bit of debt. Two years later, they're buying their first condo. They're buying their first single family house. And me being a couple years younger, I don't even have that yet. So I don't have that sphere. That's the, really the only thing that I can like tap into is like a little bit of college and high school. So, and I feel like though that that that's sort of, I don't know. I would look at that as like a benefit in my eyes because it's like, you know, on my quote unquote laziest days, I don't have a sphere to fall back on. So it's like, regardless, it's not like one day I could wake up and say I'm just tired of doing lead gen all day every day. Maybe I'm just gonna try and stick to my sphere. I feel like not having that it's just now not an option, right? And you yeah. said like like you said you'll do anything at this point to make it happen. And so I feel like there's just not, not that excuse anymore for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, ex exactly. Like when I joined Realty One, I they have so much training and stuff like that to really tap into. Like I, I could sit down for the next two weeks and learn so many things that I, I mean, I wouldn't say I don't know, but don't know to the extent that all of these things teach and like most agents don't and like we have courses on social media like we we all have taken courses on how to have a sphere on social media and so i think a lot of people also don't do that in real estate there are so many agents that i know that don't tap into social media and i really think that like you said, New Hampshire, like, didn't really have much before us. But I, I've seen it all over the country. And, like, some of the people that I look up to in real estate would be, like, Ryan Serhant. Like, he comes across in a very professional way on social media. But it's still fun. Like, it's still um, something you enjoy watching. I feel like it's like a reality yeah. show. Like, like, when you watch some of his tours and stuff like that, he sets the scene, like like a Kardashian's episode exactly. or something. Even if it's not his listing, like you'd be surprised. He'll fly to Florida, um, like Martha's Vineyard, like these different places to show off these homes. And he has nothing to do with it. People like other agents will fly him in and like kind of pay him to just like come and do a video tour because he has such a big sphere. Right. And that's something else I want to get into is doing videos for other agents 
on these huge properties because I think that's a great idea because who wants to look at the the tenth million dollar home in Wyndham I, I don't care I want to see that 30 million dollar penthouse in Boston that is so crazy that 99% of people more like 99.99% of people you ever speak to could never afford it but people love to go on Zillow and just look at those properties like oh, yeah. oh my god do you see this house has a pool on the roof it's like what the hell it's so cool yeah just ridiculous yes yeah and so you can keep people's attention with those massive properties because nobody cares about another split or ranch in manchester or a cape like yes it's, it's a cool listing video you can do some cool fun stuff but you're gonna have their attention for 40 not even 40 seconds maybe 20 and the attention only of those who would like be interested in that property exactly but the reality is like that penthouse everybody is gonna watch that video yeah it, for, because because you hit a threshold where you're like i can't afford this I'll but never it's be so able to cool this but it's so cool it's it's like reality show yes yep and i feel like too it you know if you can get access to a property like that it it subconsciously just tells everybody like no this guy's got connections yes regardless of if it's his yes. listing or uh -huh. his buyer because he got in i i've worked it so that i understand what you do have to say when you do videos even if they're, they're not yours like you could just simply say you don't even say hey this is not my listing on the video you could just straight up say this is what 30 million dollars will get you in martha's vineyard right like i'm not saying i'm the listing agent i'm not saying i'm buyer's agent no you're just andrew doing a house tour yeah yeah at, at that yep. point yeah i mean i i like that idea a lot i think it's a matter of getting the access to it once you do the reality is, I mean, if you're a legitimate agent, yeah, like with even a, even a small following, but a following that's quality, I can't see an agent just saying hard no, right? Yeah, and I mean, I've actually reached out to a lot of agents, and this was like March of this year to do something like that, and then everything started to just take off, and I, I just like lost the time. But I reached out to agents, and some were open to it, and um, some were like, "Oh, the sellers are pretty private. They don't. Um, they didn't even really want me to do, a, like, have a sign in the ground. Look, like, because there was a place in Wyndham that was for sale for like 150 days. I'm not sure if you saw it. It was like five, five point five million, but it's got like turquoise shutters. It's like pink brick. Oh, everybody knows I know. it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Yes, because it sat there for so long. And I asked to do a video for that. And the agent's like, oh, unfortunately, they're super, super private. Um, it's been tough, to say the least, with this listing. And so I watched it go back on market, I think with the same agent. But, um, I mean, that thing's not going anywhere. Every single room is, like, a totally different style. Like, when you... Yeah, you that was, like, a, like a old, old, like, one of those wealthy colonials up on the hill. Yes. Type houses. Dude, there was a house in in Beverly, Mass for 20 mil. It was like it was built in like 1920, completely redone. It was like 20 something thousand square feet. It's one of those houses where you just look at it like this is beautiful. Like you it's right on the water. You drove up and it was just a tree-lined driveway for like a quarter mile. Yeah. Gargoyles, like one of those old brick stone houses. 
But stuff like that where if you could get access, I mean, that house was on the market for 200 and something days. I mean, it's also $20 million. And who's dropping that in mass? Not many. Yeah. Have you, so I saw a listing strategy and this was over on like the West Coast and it was an agent. And what they did was they listed it for the most expensive home ever sold. It was like, I don't know, like, I'm just saying a number because I don't know. Say $300 million. Like, it would make no sense. Home is not worth that. But they knew that. They said, we're going to list this home for a ridiculous number, okay? Because every news outlet in the world is going to go crazy when we're the most expensive home ever listed in America. And it's and not like a li- it's not like a typo because you probably look at the house and say, all right, well, it is a nice house. Yes, it yeah. probably fits. You're like, it. you're like probably worth like I don't know, just shy of a hundred. Right. Like a crazy number still, but like it's not worth three. But it's it's you have that title. All these news companies are writing up articles about it, and now you're everywhere, and now you're the house that was the most expensive home. And when a buyer comes in, they got a two hundred under ask. Right. Yeah, it's the story, right? When you get into a certain price point with homes, it's the story. It's, oh, um, Warren Buffett lived here, right? Or it's, it's just like a famous artist. I see that in, in descriptions because sometimes I will scroll through those houses. And I see it's like, yeah. it's like this is, um, yeah, like Warren Buffett's old house or this is, you know, like Justin Bieber's old house. It's like once you get to that price point, you're not dealing with people who are buying for logic. They're buying out of emotion. It's purely emotion because they can. There is no... That and they, they buy the story because... Right. Like, it's not necessary for these billionaires to drive a Bentley or a Maybach. Like, it's not at all. But this is the only Maybach ever made in this color, right? It's the story. It's being able to have something to talk to people about. You almost have, like, that super nice million-dollar house just to invite clients over so when they see it they know they're dealing with that guy you know it's like yeah they could have a garden style condo any day of the week here in new hampshire but no they're going to buy it on martha's vineyard and when they want to do a hundred million dollar deal they're going to invite you to it and they're you're going to stay in the guest wing of the house and you're going to the feel guest like, wing of the guest house yeah exactly yeah so it's like it's the it's the story it's this person lived here, and then you start talking about homes. You start talking about this. You're talking about that. Like, they people will pay big bucks for a story. Right, right. It's crazy. It's crazy. I I wish. I mean, I do, and I don't wish that we had some of those insanely priced houses around here. I really do. Because... I do because of commissions, <laughs> and because you know we'd have easier access to go take a look at them. Yeah. But a hundred percent and I'm in the process of getting my mass license and I've really thought like, I don't, I don't want to do mass, but I really want to be that, that agent that has a personal driver. I want to be that agent that's like known for that city. Like there's no Ryan Serhant of Boston. There's not. I want to be the Ryan Serhant of Boston. And I thought about, well, where am I going to find these big expensive homes? Right. The only place I can think of is Lakes region. But home sales peak in spring and summer and die off in the winter. And I'd be direct competition with my cousin. She double-ended a $15 million home. Like, you won't find that $15 million home down here. You won't. 
unless you're going to Boston. And so I don't want to be in direct competition with her. And like, yes, the Lakes region, beautiful, but it's not like I walk out of my house and there's million dollar homes all around me. You have to go down those private streets to find the dirt road that leads you to the home on the water. And they, they don't want to sell until springtime because it's actually going to warrant them so much more money because it's, it's a second, third home for these people. Right. Nobody's buying that as their first home. No, no, no. <laughs> no. If you are, that's a trust fund baby right there. Yes. And that's somebody you also want to get in with. But I know what you mean. Yeah, those houses, is um, that street in Wyndham. Um, I forget the name of it. But it, it's got some of the biggest houses on it in Wyndham. There's one that's tucked away behind a gate. It's I like, think you know what you're talking about. There's two roads that I can think of. Yeah, this one. Is it? Hmm. Honestly, I don't want to give the street just because I know some people on the street. Is it over by, not Castleton, the other one, like the Sir Wedding Hills. Venue? Yes. yes. So it's over there. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yes, about. I know the the neighborhood over there. Yes. Yeah. And so there's houses on there that are 20,000 plus square feet. Yeah. I mean, like gigantic houses. And, and but they never sell. Yeah. They're inheritance properties. Yeah. The kids will get them. I, and, and I mean, I'm not dogging on them for that. Oh, That's yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. Good for them. But yeah, it's it's like sending out direct mail. Those are the kinds of people like you meet, you need to be the agent at the private dinners that they get invited yes, to. Exactly. That's how you get in with them. Yeah. And that's why some agents have such a stranglehold on these markets down here in Wyndham, like Salem, Pelham. But Every once in a blue moon, one of those sells. Like, mm -hmm. I'm talking one every three years. Oh, yeah. If that. And so, like, no agent can sustain themselves off of, like, being the luxury agent that does one deal every three years. So right. that's why it would either be Lakes Region or, or Boston. But I'm I'm kind of thinking and leaning more towards Boston. I'm, I think that's great. I think that's an awesome idea. I mean, I think that there's so much money in Boston – well, I don't think. I know there's so much money <laughs> yeah. in Boston. That, that's a given. But I also think that there's like a lot of movement. There's a lot of shift between the two states right now. And regardless, I think having both licenses, I'm going for it too. And I think having both licenses is a good idea. Just on the mere fact that there's just so much transitioning going on between the two states right now. Yeah. Like originally, it was just a mass move from Mass to New Hampshire. But I'm seeing a lot of back and forth now. I'm seeing a lot of... People in their mid-30s moving from Mass to New Hampshire and people our age moving New Hampshire to Mass. Yeah. Yep. Because they're moving to Boston. They're renting. They have a job. It's stable. Then they find a husband or wife and they're like, we want to settle down. Right. We want a house. And we can't, not, we can't afford anything in Mass at all unless you're going like Western Mass. And right. that you might as well be in the middle of the country. Yeah, like Worcester, <laughs> that's your closest city. Yeah. Yep. So those are the people that are like, okay, we want to settle down, maybe have a dog, kids. Right. And then they're making the move. Right. Yeah. And and like I said, I, I think that there's a lot of transitioning between the two. So I think just optimizing both licenses is like, you know, you may, might be able to get both ends of yeah 
every mass deal. You know what I mean? If you position yourself right. So you're mentioning like you want to be the Ryan Serhan of, of Boston. Yeah. And that's a big ambition. It's huge. Yeah. And I'm not at all judging you for it, but I want to know where does that ambition come from? Um, I feel like, like I never grew up and I was like, I guess I was, I'm not well off, but I'm not like somebody that, because you, you see stories all the time of people that, that grow up in very bad living situations. It's like, there's no money in the house at all. And those people, you can understand their motivation and their drive because Ryan Serhan said it before. There's a moment in someone's life where their back is against the wall, right? Like, what is your wall? And his, and he mentioned it in his book and multiple times all over social media, is that he went to go buy um, a yogurt and his car was declined at the grocery store. Could not afford it. His back against the wall. Like, no, nothing. So, I can understand people that have come from nothing to make something. But, I guess... It's really from when I was a kid, and I, I can't think of one scenario that put me in a position where I thought that I needed to just have the ambition and the drive to do more. But, I mean, uh, in fifth grade, for Christmas, I was asking for stock in the stock market. I'm nuts. Like, what kid in fifth grade in elementary school is asking for stock? me because like my um like the person that i looked up to in the time was walt disney and it's like what kid doesn't love disney world but i was like instead of going to disney i want to buy stock in it and i still have that to this day so i had a whole plaque it's actually underneath my dad's name but like he like gifted it to me because obviously at like the i don't know what you are in fifth grade but you're young you're under 18 you can't buy stock no, in the no, stock market. No. <laughs> so he, he bought it himself, but I have a whole plaque, and I have one share in Disney. And so that was, like, my favorite gift, and I'll never forget it. You might but have been the youngest owner of Disney ever. Th- that would be a nice nice thing to be able to say, but I don't know about that. Because I think Walt Disney had kids, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he but did. they wouldn't have been owners. You actually When owned. he passed. He passed before Walt Disney World was open. I actually know a lot of random facts about Disney. Like, a lot. It sounds like it. Like, he bought all of the land for Walt Disney World in Florida underneath an alias because Walt Disney Land in California was popping off. And so he thought, if I go to the landowner in Florida, they're going to charge me millions more just because they know what I'm going to do. So he bought it underneath someone else. So he bought it then and just started construction. And so, um, when they were first building it, there were those four theme parks now, but there uh, was only the one at the time. And he passed away before um, Magic Kingdom was opened. So he never even saw Walt Disney World open. Oh, really? Yeah. There's like a lot of cool facts. Like, you can buy a lifetime pass to Walt Disney, like all of the parks. Like, Florida, California, I believe it's anywhere from like fifty to $60,000. But it'll give you like VIP lounges that nobody even knows exist. And the only people that really have them are people with a ton of money or celebrities that get them right. free. And so there's different parts of the park that you would never even know you could go to. 
So like you could just the connections you could make at a, a bar in a secret club in Disney. Oh would be yeah, crazy. Because so many actors work for Disney, so it's like, oh, let's go to Walt Disney World today. We'll we'll just go and hang out, and they just go hang out at one of the bars because they want a break. You should do that. Right. You should do that. Yes. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure your Disney share is probably up from when you bought it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's definitely doubled in value, that's for sure. It's funny you say that, too, because I wasn't in fifth grade. I was in seventh grade when I, o- I opened a brokerage account. Because you can open it. At, you could you can open a uh, custodian account. So, like, like the parents own it, and you're still on it, and you can make yeah. the trades. Um, and it's funny you, you say that, because that's exactly what started my, like, investing love was stock market. Yeah. I made, like, my... I made like my first two or three grand, I think in, I forget what age I was. I think I was 14 and I was like, oh, I'm loaded. I'm rich. (laughs) I I remember too, we were like, we were in the vineyard and I woke up and it was like, I bought like an old, one of those vaccine companies. Yeah. Because it was like COVID time. A little before, like right in the beginning. And I was like, no, it couldn't have been COVID time. It had to have been earlier. I don't know. Whatever. I just remember seeing that, and I'm like, all right, I went from like 300 in the account to like 3,000, and I'm like, all it took was a little bit of money to make a lot of money. And I'm like, all right, I, I followed stocks, and I'm like, okay, this doesn't, this isn't as predictable. And I was like, all right, well, what is predictable? Because I want a little bit of money to make a lot of money, but this wasn't predictable enough. That's how I landed on real estate. Yeah, 100%. Because real estate's not going anywhere. Stock market can. It's a lot more liquid. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if you have that capital and you already have a ton of investment properties in real estate, stock market is a fantastic place to keep it too. Because, like, inflation is just going to keep bringing it up. Like, long-term. Like, right. long, long-term. Like, if you were just in, like, an index, it's not going anywhere. Right. I mean, unless the whole nation crashes and i'm talking like the dollar's worthless right but then your real estate's worthless in, so in, a, in, in theory, theory yes and in, yeah. in yeah in theory because because like you're always gonna need a place to stay it, it's an evergreen i mean yeah. it's, it's it's as evergreen as it gets but yeah i mean your real estate's worthless in reality if there's nobody to buy it yeah i mean it still holds equity but if we're truly at a point where everything crumbles to pieces the only other way if without having somebody buy it that you get cash is obviously a refi but i don't think banks are giving out refis if, if that's the where the market's at so in yeah. reality yeah everything does but it's just it's the it was mo- most secure asset but my my question for you is like that started my investment love and that's like part of the reason why i don't pursue being an agent because i just I'm not really salesy i'm not in the the service side of things i, I want to buy and sell but you use that and turn to be a real estate agent instead of investor. So where was the love for the service business? Oh, um, yeah. So I have worked, I think, three jobs for different companies. Um, I was a hostess at one. Um, I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods. And I worked at a car detailing shop. I think the longest I stayed at a place was two months. There's something about working for someone else and knowing that somebody else, it's like, you know, we think of it. 
why rent, right? Because you're paying someone else's mortgage. Well, I'm paying someone else's mortgage because I'm working for them. I'm not building anything. I'm hoping maybe they give me a bonus. I'm hoping they give me another 20 cents an hour. And I mean, I started doing the, that car detailing company only because in high school, I started a car detailing company myself, but it was winter time and I didn't have a garage to do it. So that was supplemental while I was doing my car detailing business. And when I worked for them, I took so many notes as to what they use, where they're getting their products, everything. So, I, I mean, I definitely learned a lot. Springtime rolled around and I was making 2500 a week car detailing. Like I had some of my, my friends, I was like, quit your job making 200 bucks a week part-time while we're in high school. I'll pay you 400 on the table right now. Like you work for me and they're, of course they're going to take it because they'd work two hours a day for four days a week and I'd pay him 400 bucks because like I was making good money. I ha I was door knocking like I door knocked over um, my neighborhood in Salem. Like I, I love that neighborhood. I forget the name of it, but um, I had met some people that just wanted their cars done. I had met people that own companies that are like, I'm going to do all my employees cars every single month. And I'm like, they're like, that's a tax write off for us. And so I walk in the door and I'm like, I have 40 cars I need to do. And they're like, I remember the the phone call. They call me like an hour after I door knock. And this woman, she's like, are you sure you can get that done? I'm like, yeah. I hang up the phone and I'm like, I'm panicking. I'm like, 40 cars? No, I can't get that done. I was like through the roof because I was like, oh my God, that's so much revenue off of knocking on one door. Right. And I, I had never done like, 10 cars in a week let alone 40 and I have my other accounts for other clients but I mean it was really just it was a light bulb moment like when I was asked by my mom in high school hey can you vacuum the car and I mean I I don't really like car detailing anymore I mean I've come across some really gross things and it's just it's a ton of like labor work but I loved being able to help people because so many people like having clean things, right? People will have people that clean houses or whatnot. And to be that guy that would clean the car, people still reach out to me. I'm like, hey, sorry, I don't do that anymore. Like I have so much referral business, I could probably sell my contact list. Like I could sell it for some good money. But um, I really just always liked the idea of owning a company or something. Because like I remember um, like – my dad explaining different parts of companies because my dad works for a publicly traded company and I'd ask all of these questions and he would hate it because like back in elementary school, I'm asking all these questions and it was always before bedtime. <laughs> it's like... No bedtime stories for you guys. Yeah, it was like, so what is a CFO's job? What is the difference between a CFO and a CEO? And he's trying and, to like dumb it down to an elementary level too. Yeah, and so he'd be trying to talk about all of these different things and... He's probably like, what? Who the hell is my son? Because, <laughs> like, I mean, what kid asks for stock or what kid's asking all these questions about? I've just always loved business. Yeah. Loved it. And, like, I love sitting down and just doing a profit and loss statement. 
I love that. I don't know why. Uh, well, I'm analytical <laughs> too. So like I sat down and did a net worth sheet a week or two ago and I was in my glory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I was like, I, I like that too. I understand that. But that was a lot. I didn't know about you. I didn't know that you were you car detailed. Yes. Yeah. Did like, that create your love for cars? Cause I, I you always post Porsches. Um, so I wouldn't say it created my love for cars. I had love for cars way before that. I probably had like a hundred matchbox cars and my dream car as a kid, I believe was like an Aston Martin. And like, those are great cars, but like having seen the progression of it over the past 15 years, like quality is not where it could be. And I love Porsches because like for the Porsche that I like, the GT3 RS uh, yeah. 992, it's a flashy car, but not as flashy as other cars you could get for the same price. You could buy a $250,000, $300,000 Ferrari versus the half a million dollar Porsche that I love. Right. And so... Uh, I'm not like the flashy kind of person because I would, I would still daily drive so many other more normal cars Oh yeah. than, um, a GT3 RS. But I mean, I've, if I was doing that type of clientele for car detailing, I think it would have been different, but because my sphere at the time was moms with minivans. And then that's when I started getting accounts from companies the the moms with minivans those things are like an atomic bomb went off it made me hate my job <laughs> it made me hate my life um and then i started getting accounts for the company and like those weren't bad because they had company vehicles too and those were those were like so clean but the it's the employees that work there once they started seeing that that service was continuing i don't care destroy yeah. the car we're gonna get clean next week anyways Right. And so I would come across so much food melted to seats. Oh. I found so many, so many nails. People chew nails and like spit them out oh, yeah. everywhere. I found uh, an orange underneath the seat that I picked up. It ripped the carpet. There was no way to get it off otherwise. Like it was so hard. It an was orange? harder than a yeah, harder than a baseball. This thing was rock solid and <laughs> like and that and then just people will floss with stuff and just like hum it floss i sticks? Oh. do not understand it like my car is pristine maybe not on the outside because i i don't have the time to detail as much as i like but the inside i vacuum it twice a week like that thing's clean i people people that know me that have gotten in my car i'm like tap your toes <laughs> tap your toes <laughs> tap your toes before you get in my car yeah a hundred percent. So I, I mean, I keep. You're one that. of those. Yeah. Gotcha. And that's that's the other thing is like, because like I've always been in the mindset of like saving your money and spending it on like assets. And so to go out and buy a Tesla Model Three, it was like killer for me. Like I'm like, why am I doing this? I know I could go buy a Honda, a brand new Honda Civic, for more than like less than half the price. I could go out and buy a Camry, an Accord, like all of these more economical cars. But then you have agents that'll show up in the BMW or the Mercedes, and it's like, ah, oh, they do deals, you know? And that's the one thing I hate about real estate because you could be a business owner and you could wear jeans every day, a t-shirt, and be like a brick and mortar. It doesn't matter. If you're a nice guy and you have good clients to keep coming back, it doesn't matter what you wear. Real estate has image, right? I look like I'm 18. 
no matter what. And so I've had so many people that I'm going to listing appointments and they're like, oh, how long have you been in the business? They love that question. Love it. And then I'm like, yeah, I know. I look like I'm 18. I get it. I get it all the time. So like to have that car appears with the image, right? And that's the one thing I don't really like about real estate. But instead of going for the BMW or the Mercedes, that being a car guy, I know they break down. They're very expensive to maintain. So I did my research on the cars. But a Tesla is something to talk about. Right. Whether you like it or you hate it, everyone has an opinion on it. It's like, because originally I didn't want a Model 3. I wanted a Cybertruck. And most people give me shit for it, but it's you wouldn't give me shit if I was going for a Mercedes. But if you're going to give me shit for it, it's something to talk about. Right. And so when I walk in the door of someone's house and I'm just meeting, it's not... It's not just like it's like you're breaking the ice. You don't. I'm not talking. That's like people are so nervous. Like, oh my gosh, how much do you charge? When do you think our home will sell? Like they want to ask all these questions, but then small talk can be a challenge if you don't really have anything in common with them. They could be seven years old looking for their last home, looking for a single level, fifty five plus community, and here I'm twenty four. Like, what are we gonna talk about? Right. Nothing. But. That breaks the ice. You show up in a, a, a cyber truck, people are like, what on earth? What is, is that, that thing? thing? Yeah. 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 What? Uh, no, I, I, and that's what I, I was like getting back to the whole people buy homes for the story. Right. It's like, why did you buy that $25 million Rolls Royce? Because it's a one of one. Right. It's the only one that'll ever be made. It's the story. Right. So, yeah. No, I, you're right about it being all image, man, because that doesn't change. That doesn't change, right? I like I I did the same thing. I I mean it's not my car, but I looked at a it was a twelve unit up in Maine and it was one and a half to two million. And I was like, Yeah, I I told my stepdad, I was like, Listen, I gotta take your car. You have to understand me. You have to understand this for a minute yeah. that if I show up in mine, they're not going to take me seriously. I'm a, exactly. I'm a young kid. They're not going to take me as seriously as if I show up in your car. Yeah. And that is the reality. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, though. I wouldn't even pinpoint whether or not it's it's good or bad because, yeah, on one hand, it's a quote-unquote unfair advantage. But on the other hand it's also incentive, right? It's like, okay, well, if I want to exponentially grow and I know it's all about image, but I can't afford the image, then it makes me more competitive so that I can get to the next stepping stone, which is to afford the image. Once I afford the image, things become easier, right? Yeah. And so it can also be like a good push in the right direction. I would I would agree with that. Yeah, 100%. And like, I had a lot of clients over a million dollar price point and so I still own my 07 Honda Civic. It's missing a gas cap. It's got rust everywhere. Probably not street legal. As a matter of fact, I know it's not street legal. That thing is a death trap. And like the exhaust. Are He's talking all hypothetical right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the exhaust is literally rusted off. It is so loud. And it's like. It's straight not that, piped. Yeah. I mean, nice. it would probably be quieter if it was straight piped. That thing is like, <laughs> is so rusted. And so. 
that car was my car that I would mostly show homes in. But when I'd have those big clients, I'm like, dad, I'm taking your car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause like it's already hard to really compete. Cause like I look young. Well, that's the thing. It's finding an angle. It's your way of finding an angle and it's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. It's like, it's the same reason why, and you know, this is actually a perfect way to get into the next topic, which is like, I want to delve more into your personal brand, but you know, like it sounds like your personal brand is, is really gauged towards like the luxurious type. That's what I want to be. And I, and it's, it's easy to tell, right? Like, I'm wearing a lumberjack shirt right now. You're in a suit. <laughs> I got a SUV and you saw that hunk of shit F-150. <laughs> I was like, I was actually like, whose is that? Yeah, yeah, that's mine. That's mine. Luckily, it's not my daily. You know, but it's so nice flat. to have. Oh, I love a having beater. it. It's, well, it's not even like a beater. It's something that you're like, because as a car guy, uh, I park at the back of the parking lot. I do too. Yeah, but we're in, always at the in back. my in my Civic. Oh, I'm closest to the door. Oh, yeah. I do not care. <laughs> well, well, even with my truck, like, that is truly, like, when you say beater, like, I would just, like, I mean, I wouldn't go around hitting public things, but, like, down at yeah. my beach house, I would, like, drive into the side of a tree just for the hell of it. You know what I mean? It's like, like, I had fun with that car. Yes. Because it's it's such a, it's such a piece of shit. But, like, you know. <laughs> it's something you don't have to worry about. No. And you yeah. can actually have fun. Yes. You know, kind of messing with things. So I, I did that. I drilled through the roof of it to put that light bar on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, going back to what I was saying, like, suit, the Tesla, right? And, and it, one of those things, like, you probably at the time bought it when it was above your means. But unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately for this business, that was an investment. Yeah. And I think that this is one of the only industries you can actually call a vehicle an investment. It like, like it truly gets you yes. from A to B and you need that. That's, that's imperative. But then the luxury level of that car is going to be a, de- not the only, but a determining factor in your success at some deals. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like when you show up, you're not bring, you could, you could literally have a $10 million home and show up in it my Honda Civic and you could be the number one agent in all of New Hampshire and you show up to a $10 million listing and they're not going to take you seriously at all. Nope. At all. Like, what are you driving? Yeah. What is this thing? And that's another thing is like Ryan Serhan has mentioned it before. He's like, buy the vacation now for a year from now, because now you're going to have to work that much harder because you know you have to pay for that. It's coming up. Yeah, it's, all, so it's all incentive. That's what I did when I bought the car. I was like, I need a car. I definitely needed a car at the time. But like, it was something that would give me the image right. that goes along with real estate. And it's going to push me because I'm like, oh my God, those payments. We're right. going from no payments. And I'm like, maybe I spend 50 bucks a month on maintenance if you divide maintenance by a year but so is is a big jump right yeah how this is a little off topic but how is it like in terms of maintenance the tesla yeah i have maintained nothing so far and i've put 
35,500 miles on my car. Like, would you say I it's need a tires thumbs up? Or... Really, really bad, though. Is it a thumbs up or thumbs down car? Thumbs up. Thumbs like, up, like all day. I am well within my warranty. 150,000 miles. Like, anything. That's the warranty? Is 150,000? Yes. So I've owned my car for about nine months, and it's got a crazy warranty on it. The only thing I can think of that would be maintenance is windshield wiper fluid, windshield wipers, tires, and brakes. But brakes, I like. I don't need to use my, my brakes ever because the car slows itself down. It recharges the battery. So I take my foot off the, the gas, and it slows down immediately. So I could be going 60, take my foot off on the highway. I'm going 40 in like three seconds. Oh, so the- – it's regenerative braking. So I don't even really use my brakes. So my brakes are going to last forever. Wow. Yeah. That's, so, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, it makes sense with electric. Yeah. Wow. And so that's another reason why I went into it because I knew that maintenance for something like that, uh, like tires, they're, they're not cheap at all. No. <laughs> and like I'm reluctant to buy some, but because it has so much torque and I – never rotated them like i should have he's like the, the the guy at the tire place is like you should probably do this every four to five thousand miles um to really get all of the life out of the tires i didn't rotate or tr- attempt to rotate until about thirteen thousand miles and they're he's like gone. they're too far gone yeah he's like nope we're not doing this so my rear tires are bald <laughs> my front tires they're not too bad but, uh, I mean, you get a huge discount if you buy all four. Right. So um, I'm waiting until fall. But those really rainy days that we've been having this summer, a car doesn't like it. No? <laughs> no. Like, it's so hard to spin, like, a Tesla out because I have dual motor. So it's got front and back. But with, like, bald tires in the back, it will – you'll definitely get it out, like, the back end out for, like, a split second. But the car makes calculations so quickly – It'll just like straighten you out, right? But having new tires on it is like crazy. I'm sure. I remember taking. I had a Ford Fusion, and I remember taking it to um, get an inspection. And I get a call back. He goes, "Yeah, hey, everything's all good here, except um, you know this metal poking out of your tires, right?" I'm like, uh, did I run something over? He goes, "No, that's how bald they are." He's like, "I'm surprised they didn't blow up on the highway yet." <laughs> I was like. He's like, I'm replacing them. There's no option at this point. I can't let you drive this away. Yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah. But um, no, so what I was saying though, like like all of these things put together makes the personal brand, the personal brand shooting for like a, a luxury style. Is that, I assume from the sounds of it, like the mass license and things like that, that's your goal is to get into ultra luxury real estate. Yeah, I mean, that's really always been the goal, but uh, my broker has always told me it's like you can't you can't go whale hunting, right? Because, like, you'll end up – you have no past sales. This is when I first started. Like, you have, like, no real past sales. Why would somebody with a million-dollar property trust you, right? And so it totally makes sense, but you have to do the small deals with all of, like, the crazy shit to really understand – every aspect of a deal like every deal i learn something new because there's always some crazy shit that comes up right and so with that being said you can take that into your 
experience when you walk in the door of a $10 million home. And so at that point, they can trust the experience. You have the experience. You can show the experience. And you may not have sold a $10 million home, but you've sold a dollars $500,000 homes. Right. And so it's like it's not too much different. Like I can understand where there's things that are different. And I've worked with a lot of big buyers, and some of them have just bought in um, the Cape. And so like I'm in competition with the Lakes region or the Cape. And so some of the buyers ended up going there about um, a year ago. So I lost two multi-million dollar buyers to the Cape. And it was a horrible feeling because those checks would have been crazy. But um, like something you when, – when you're doing a first-time home buyer, it's the first-time home buyer is just trying to get out of their parents' house. They don't want to live in the basement anymore. When you're doing a luxury deal, it's what way does the sunset? So every time I, I go to show a property over a million dollars, the second I show up, I already have my compass app opened up. So when they ask that question, because it is like routine. It's always when we're in the kitchen or the primary bedroom. Where's the sunrise and where's the set? And so I want to be the agent because usually there are such a showings to it sets that way. And the other agent's just like, uh, uh. And like they're the listing agent of this three million dollar home. They don't even right. know where the sun rises and sets. Right. And so something you'd never think about. Like I have Until a client you get asked enough. Yeah. I have a client that's like, I want the house front door to face due east. And we found that this weekend. We found the home that points due east so that it sunsets in the west on the opposite end of the house. You know what's crazy though? It's like MLS doesn't tell you that. No, it so, should. So like you, you have to go there now. Yes. To, I mean, I guess in theory you could like Google map it. It's it's still quite tough because you, you have to figure out like where the windows are. Will this window allow for the sun to come in? And so when you're doing like I've, I've noticed it like multi-million dollar listings over in California, you'll have a video crew come in and like here you'll have you'll do like listing videos and they last an hour, two hours trying to get everything ready. Over there, they will spend 12 hours at the house, sunrise to sunset, so that that video captures every which way the light comes in because they know that somebody that's buying a luxury home cares so much about the way the sun rises and sets. Right. It's crazy. Well, it, it, it's it's like the, again, like you said, we're just going back to it, the story, like the experience. It's it's To them, it's less a house, more an experience every day. Yeah. And the first time home buyer, like, they're completely different buyers. And put aside the price range for a second. They're just completely different buyers with com a complete different set of criteria. Yeah. And one's for purely logical reasons, and one is heavily sprinkled with emotional reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the other thing is like I really love, and I, I've heard it before, that people that are interviewing to get in real estate they're like oh i i love homes i love architecture if you're a real estate agent and that's your reason for getting into real estate don't get into real estate like at all don't even think about it ever again because <laughs> but i i like seeing the way that some of these homes are designed and i want to work with that luxury clientele to see more to be able to talk about it and here in new hampshire we don't really have those crazy cool homes because of the market that we're in 
and it's an all-time seller's market. You have cookie-cutter colonials going in one, two, three, four right next door, and you're not going to get that. Um, what is the, the style that they don't even like build anymore here? It's like it's still kind of common. Um, I'm a New like, Englander? No, it's it's like a funky style. Your your company just bought one or whatever. Oh, mid-century modern. Yes. Contemporary. Contemporary. Those aren't even a thing anymore. Those are sick, though. Yes. I love those houses. I want a contemporary home, but I want a modern contemporary home. Like something you'd see in California with like a flat roof, with like a garage attached that looks like it's concrete, with a glass garage opening like door. I want that weird home. You know what's funny is we were actually, my parents were looking at some houses in Costa Rica, and they had one of those there was one house just like that like you drive up it was up on the mountains all glass like yes total glass back infinity pool like the hallway is like filled with art and it's fully glass exposed to the front like one of those crazy houses that's what i want those are yeah you don't find those around here and that's what i want to get into and like you might find that in no, I wouldn't say Boston, but you'll find like cool condos that are like twenty million, right? And you might find um, some of those homes in like Southern Mass, maybe like Martha's Vineyard, because I was looking at some of those today on Zillow, and that's when you get into like that really cool like style home where people really care, and you don't have that here. But I want to be that agent that does those cool homes, right? Yeah, yeah, and. You know, in addition to kind of what you're doing now, like I said, the way you dress and the way you present yourself, how are you positioning yourself to appeal to those that that type of clientele? That's a really tough question because, like, I don't really know. I mean, to position myself, I guess I would say getting my mass license. That's me taking my first step towards that specific clientele because I don't mind – I like doing million dollar homes. Who doesn't like doing million dollar homes? But it's like doing like the fifth million dollar colonial. It's cool, but it's not like, oh my gosh, this one is so different than the one right next door. This one has so many different features. And that's what I want to be able to talk about is like, like Ryan Serhant has so many different listings that are just so high end and they're so different. Like, we have like five different styles here that sell and it's like colonial ranch, um, a split ranch, a Cape. I, I can't even think of any other styles right now, but like just pretty basic right, styles. Yeah. Like we don't have anything crazy. And so I don't know. I don't really know how I'm trying to position myself to that just yet. I guess just my track record. I kind of, yeah. To be able to, I mean, I've door knocked the place that I sold, the 1.1 in Hampstead. I, I cold called them. So, I mean, I guess doing that, like, hey, I've done this. Oh, that deal that you closed or or you got the listing for is, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, so you you cold called them. Yes, yeah, I, I door knocked some of them, cold called some. Um, only one has sold in that neighborhood since but I knew that one was going to be listed right after mine. So they already had an agent and whatnot. There was like some family friend. 
but none of the other ones have sold. And people that I did talk to were like, hey, I would love to know what my home is worth, but if you told me the price, I would want to move. And they're like, I have kids in the school system. My wife would kill me. And so I'm trying to stay in touch with those people because, you know, once the kids are older, hey, we're going to downsize from this 5,000, 6,000 square foot colonial because we don't need that space. Right. But that's not like the end goal. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, there's going to be a point in time, like, usually you don't have door knockers in the multi, multi, multi million dollar neighborhoods. I mean, sometimes. Yeah. But it's, it, you know, oftentimes not going to be. And like you're in the lower million range in the Hampstead area, but like that that place in Wyndham. Yeah, it's like if you have a door knocker, if if you're a door knocking agent in that neighborhood, it's I feel like it's looked upon. It's like you're not, you're already giving away that you're not the quality agent I'm looking for, because you're door knocking. There's like, there's no middle ground with it. It's no, it's not like, oh like this is cool, I guess. Like it's either you're a very ambitious age agent and I totally understand because I'm a business owner myself and this is fantastic. Nobody does this anymore. Or it's the opposite end. I hate you. Everyone has an agent. Get off my lawn. Don't ever speak to me again. Right. So there's no in between. Cause like when I landed that, that big deal with car detailing, it was, Oh my gosh, no one does this anymore. When I was cold calling every once in a while, I'd come across another agent. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm real to myself. And I, I spoke with the sweetest lady, and she's like, no one cold calls anymore. No one. They're like, you're the first person in, like, three or four years. And she's like, you're so nice. And, I mean, she really doesn't practice real estate anymore because she's so old. Facelic. <laughs> 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 yeah, and, I mean, I know the address. I've driven by it. The house looks distressed. <laughs> I don't think she's... Yeah, I don't think she's um, she's ever looking to sell. You know, to I yeah, I know we could do a three realtor transaction. Let's do it. I would. I don't even yeah. know if she's still holding her license. To be honest, I think she told me it was inactive, but yeah. she was like, nobody really cold calls anymore. Um, and I've had people that pick up the phone and like, I know you, I remember you, and from like, like crazy things. And this was like a year ago. And I was cold calling like some places within my town, and people would be like, oh, I remember you from like elementary school yeah you went to school with my son so like i'd connect people on that level but i've also had people on the other end and they're like i'm gonna die in this house i'm like that's fantastic yeah can you tell me when because i'm gonna try to be on that will (laughs) (laughs) i've had people that are just like yep get me 550 and i i I mean i already know the house is not worth 550 i know like just craziness over the phone they would love to sit on the phone for 20 minutes and they'd love to talk about how they want that price. And then there's one person who told me that and they're like, want this ridiculous price. And then they're like, I'm like, Hey, can I see the property in person so that I can show some of my buyers? No, get me an offer before they see it. I'm like, no one's going to do that. That's not how this works. Yeah. I cold call one. I I was cold calling a a duplex list and I had one of those guys and, you know, it, it wasn't a legitimate guy who was like, oh, I want more than I know my place is worth. But he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah. You're going to pay me a million dollars for this? I'm like, a dairy duplex? Probably not, sir. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think that I'm going to be able yeah. to swing that. He's like, yeah, then fuck off and never call me. I was like, okay, great. Uh, DNC. I was like, I don't even want to call this guy. Uh, even yeah. three years. 
I'll just wait for the obituary records on that place. Yeah, I mean, I've had plenty of people tell me off on the phone, and I'm like, I love it. Yeah, I love yeah, you it. just start toying with them. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, like, it's bad. Because, like, why be rude? Like, That's my I, I get cold calls from anyone and everyone asking for business of different companies. And I'm like, hey, I'm really not interested at this time. I appreciate the call because just if you don't do cold calling often, you're like Eminem. You're like knees weak, arms are heavy, palms sweaty. Like you're like tweaking. You're like, oh, my gosh. At the end of the day, what's the worst they can do? Hang up on you. Right. Like what I found was good for me, too, was to have a script like put together in front of me. Yeah. Where it's like there's there's I don't go off the script. You know what I mean? Like like. I haven't cold called in a while, but when I was cold calling more often, it was like there was a script in front of me. I knew what I was going to say. It was a little bit easier that way. But no, absolutely. I mean, being told off is is like like people will tell you off in person. Oh yeah, like, I've had it happen. Yeah, but I don't understand why people are so rude either. Because it's like I I do the same thing. If somebody calls me, I say, listen, I'm not. Sometimes I'll even humor them. I'll be like, here's my email, and and I have like a a junk email. That like, I sign up for like the discount stuff at stores. And I stuff. have like like it's, eight emails, so I know. Oh, well, I I have like, I'm not even kidding. You probably know short of twenty. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Google has shut me down for making more Google accounts. Yeah, Google told me today. They go, I I had to make another one today, and they go, there's already a number associated with this a Google account, account yeah. and there's like nineteen down the list. I'm like, ooh, this is not a good look. Yeah. Yeah, they probably think I'm spam now. But no, I'm just – I have a junk email. Sometimes I'll humor them because you know what? It Like as somebody who – as people who do cold call, like you know it's – regardless of if – like if you're having that day where everyone's just telling you off, if one, one person, person – yes. even, even if it doesn't turn into anything, if it's like halfway through your cold call list – it gives it just gives you that extra bump if somebody even humors you. Just be nice. Just yeah. be nice. You know what I mean, and and yes. that's that's my philosophy because I look at these business owners and I'm like, I understand. I've had a Jehovah's Witness show up multiple times on the doorstep. It's like, dude, listen, I I don't think that you should be bothering people at their homes about religion, but this is a business person trying to hustle and make a living for a lot of people for their families. Like it's like we're young, so we don't have that that yeah. that um, responsibility, but a lot of people do, and it's like, you know, you, you got to think if you're getting a cold call, there's a good chance that this kid's got some mouths to feed. Why am I like? Clearly, he's he's struggling because if he if he's cold calling, he's not getting enough inbound. So he's he's out there trying to make deals happen that aren't coming to him because there comes a certain point. Like Ryan Serhant, I mean, let's be real here. How much outbound marketing other than social media marketing does he no, do? No, he's claimed zero. Right, he claimed, and I believe it because his stats were he closed I think four hundred and thirty deals last year. That's more than one a day. Like, you can't even go to every closing. And if you did, you wouldn't have time for new business. 430 deals? I, I think it was over a billion in real estate. Because his price point is so high. Well, I, I know. I, I get the price point, the billion. It's the deal count. Yeah. That's a ridiculous number. But yeah, that, that that's what I mean. It's, it's like that guy... He has a lot of inbound and, you know, there's a lot of people who do, but no, I'm big on just humoring those people. 
I'm not going to sit on the phone with them for 25 minutes, but I will humor them because I think that it it gives them that extra push through whatever list they're going through. 100%. Oh, yeah. I've had, like, back when I would do a ton of cold calling, like, days where everyone was telling me off. And my days where people were just being super nice. And then I've had days where it's mediocre. And, like, to just have somebody be nice over the phone is just, like, the nicest feeling. It heightens my day. Yes. It heightens my day because I just – I have, like, a slight little bit of hope in humanity. I'm like, you know what? This person did not want to sell. They were busy, but they humored me anyways. There's just somebody out there who cares enough about somebody they don't know to at least treat them with respect. It it sucks that our threshold now for a good person is just a minimal amount of respect. Yeah. Like, that's our threshold for, like, you're a good person if you're slightly respectful. I feel like business owners understand the most. They do. It's like they understand like the hustle and where you have to come from to be where they are at, and they were in your shoes at the same like a long time ago, and so they understand it. And those are the people that will entertain it, and they're like, "Hey, I'm working with an agent, but I'd love to meet you in person." That's and what that's- happened to me. I sent out direct mail to a duplex list, and one of the women emailed me back, and she said, "Listen, I'm not looking to sell, but I really like your hustle." I don't really get any direct mail anymore. I don't get a lot of outbound marketing sent to me. And she was in real estate, but wasn't a realtor. She did, you know, flips and wholesales, and she ran a a, a RIA in somewhere in like Pe- Pepperell, Mass, or something. It was too far for me to go to, but we met up, and like it's it's stuff like that where she understood it because yeah. she was actively looking for deals, and I'm actively looking for deals. Yeah. Hopefully, she sells soon. <laughs> um, yeah, I the other thing is that um 99% of the people you talk to aren't going to understand what you're talking about. Right. Because if you're trying to be part of the 1%, only that 1% that you speak to, 1% of people, one in every 100 are going to understand the hustle because they want to be the 1%. 99% of people will not Right. And so that applies to everything in business, whether you're cold calling, one in a hundred understand. Like they truly, genuinely understand. One in a hundred will understand doing the things that are necessary to be where they're at or where they want to be. Right. So. Yeah. No, it's, um, you know, in, in, that's why it's huge when people say like surround yourself with those kinds of people. It's not a matter of surrounding yourself. Like, it, it's not a treasure hunt to find those kinds of people. Like, yeah. and, I, and I want to preface that because, you know, th- that's what this podcast is about is young entrepreneurs. And, you know, sometimes it can be tough surrounding yourself around the right kinds of people. But in all reality, it's not a treasure hunt to find these people, right? The one out of 100. Because there's 100 out of 100 for the most part. Or I would say 90 out of 100 at the NHRIA, right? Like, you put yourself in those positions yeah. where you meet people where all the one of 100s group up together now you're in front of those kinds of people and you know just like i was saying the private dinners for you like that you get your your mass license and you start to do business down in boston that your whole job's going to be networking like that's that's going to be your marketing is going to be networking yeah in in meeting people and gaining people's trust at these dinners and at these parties and I'm, i'm sure you know you'll do all the rest of the the typical marketing channels but my point being, like, if you if you just make sure that 
like I said, surrounding yourself in those, putting yourself in those areas strategically where it's, it's like, you don't have to go searching for those kinds of people. They all flock to one spot, find that spot yeah, and go put yourself there. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's, that's our office too. Like coming back to it is like, we all want to be the number one agent. And so like being in this office environment where it's so competitive pushes each other to be better. And then when I was at Bean Group, it's all of these agents that are just going off of referrals. Maybe they're doing 12, 13 million a year off of not trying. Right. And it's like, even if I was doing 12 million, if I was doing 20 million, I could be doing 100 million. I want right. more. Right. I never want to go back in volume. No, I, I I love that. I love that. I was um, I think it was it was Waz and I who were talking, and we were talking about how, like, satisfaction is is like it, in my eyes invisible, in the entrepreneur's mind, like there is no, true meaning of satisfaction. Like yeah, they'll it's a never blessing and a curse. It's a and that's yeah. that's what I called it too. It's a blessing and a curse because it's like, on one hand, right, you want to grow. And if you're satisfied, you become complacent. It's a very simple concept. And there's no more reason to continue to grow. There's no more reason to push. But on the other hand, it's like you want to enjoy the fruits of your labor. And by fruits of your labor, I don't even mean the physical ones. Just feeling that that mental satisfaction that you at least reached a specific goal. Yeah. I feel like – I think it's a song. Is it, is it called like Working for the Weekend or something like that? I don't know. I maybe it's lyrics in a song, like an old song, but like I feel like I'm always working so that I can take a day off. And I haven't taken a day off in like the past sixty days. And like then I'm like, oh like the weekend's coming up. Not that I usually know what day of the week it is because I don't unless I'm looking at my calendar. Because like it was literally Saturday and I thought it was a Thursday last weekend. And it it's like, oh the weekend's coming up, maybe I have some time to like do something interesting, something fun. And then the weekend rolls around and I'm doing, I'm even busier than weekdays. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because my most average clients... number of showings on Saturday and Sunday is seven a day. And it's like, they're all over the map. Like they're everywhere. And so I will leave my house an average of like mm, eight thirty nine in the morning on a Saturday. I'm home by like six or seven. Right there i i don't have the time in the day and like that's another thing i'd love to talk about is like time because like it is the most valuable asset i've seen videos online people talking about if i could give you a billion dollars right now would you take it if you knew that you weren't waking up tomorrow yeah it's like you're valuing your time more than a billion dollars like we sit here right now and we're like oh my god a billion dollars that is so much money but time is still worth more than that. And the the difference between a billionaire mindset and a millionaire mindset is time. A millionaire, it's not hard to be a millionaire, okay? Because, like, you could have a $100,000 income. You're putting all of your money in 401k, your retirement fund, all of these different things. And in real estate, you could like, everyone knows, you buy a house 10 years ago for 200 and 300k, and now it's worth a million. It's, right. it's not hard. And your millionaire mindset would go and spend the time shopping around for the cheapest flight from here to Florida. 
a billionaire goes and buys the private jet because they don't want to waste a full day flying. They want to spend three and a half hours in a plane. That's it. Mm -hmm. So like for me, I, I feel like I have that mindset is that like I have a transaction coordinator. I, I do none of my paperwork other than the purchase and sale agreement. I do nothing. She handles, she puts everything in my calendar. She tells me when I need to do things. And when she tells me to jump, I'm jumping. Because, like, uh, I don't have the time to do 40 pieces of documentation per person, per deal. I don't. And, like, if I did, then I'm lacking finding new business. Right. And so, yes, I'm paying her. But, like, time is money. And it is more valuable for me to give her that job and pay her to do it than to do it myself. And that's why one day I want a personal driver. I want like, like I love driving. I've put 35,000 miles on my car in eight or nine months. And so that's 35,000 happy miles. Yeah. I love it. And like, that's not even including me driving my Honda Civic because I still drive it. And like, I want eight other cars I could speak of right now. And like, I would drive all of them, but I want a personal driver, not because I don't like driving, but because it would save my time. I could use my phone. I could use my laptop or having the private jet. I'm not using it, charter it. And then when I do need it, I'm spending three hours to go to the place that I need to versus 12. I'm not spending an hour and a half in TSA on both ends. And then I'm waiting for the flight. Oh, it's delayed. Now it's not showing up. It's like, no, time is one of the most valuable things because we only have so much time on this earth. It's one thing we literally cannot change. It's the only thing that's finite in our yeah. lives. It's like truly the only thing that's finite. I mean, you have the closest. I, I just want to add this. You have the closest thing to a personal driver. You have the cheapest personal driver. Yes. And so, that's another reason why I bought the Tesla is because yeah. I I don't know if I should admit it. Maybe we don't put this online, but I have plenty of times put my car in autopilot and use my laptop. Like I have, That's not illegal. I'm like building a website. I'm building a website on my laptop in the driver's seat while it's driving. Yeah, I don't think that's legal because it's driving. It's like adaptive cruise control. I don't know. That's It's a very gray area. It is a gray area. I think it's only illegal if you get in a crash. <laughs> what? But I'm saying like, yeah. like we can put this in because it's like you haven't gotten <laughs> in a crash. Well, it's an autopilot. So it's like. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. I so, mean, I, yeah, I, I do think it's probably a gray area. But no, it's it's funny you say that. I'm same thing. I'm gonna be hiring a couple cold callers, and um, and I, I'm streamlining all my direct mail now. I had a couple of meetings about it today. It's like same same idea. Time yeah. time is money. I and even when I talk to people, like I was talking to family over the summer, and uh, I can't remember what it was. I, I had bought a couple of things, and they, and they had they'd been like, "What? Why didn't you just do it yourself? Or why don't you?" You know, why don't you just do it instead of outsourcing it or, or buying all this shit to, I'm, I'm like, no, my, my focus is on making more money, not saving money I already made. I mean, there's a, yes. there's a line. You don't want to be yes. dumb and stupid with every dime you make. But, you know, if it's in the name of a personal investment, that's going to yield me back time. And that's kind of what I said. I was like, I was like, all I'm looking for is for this to buy me back time. Yeah. And that's like saying to a billionaire. Well, why don't you mow your own lawn? Why don't you hedge the bushes? 
because my time would be better spent going to find new business than not charging the, being charged 300 bucks a week for this guy to do it right it's like if i spent if i spent 200 bucks to do my lawn and it takes me and it would take me two hours yeah it's like in that two hours realistically if i was doing manual cold calling i could probably make with a because i'm also buying a, a power dialer yeah so i don't know i could probably make within those two hours a hundred and something calls because you, like I said, the power dialer does four four numbers at a time, so like you can you can blow through those. If I could somehow convert one of those into something monetized, yeah, doesn't matter whether it's a residential lead that I list or refer out. Hell, I take that and refer it out to an agent I know already monetized. I'm sure I monetize it for more than two hundred bucks. My time is better spent cold calling. Yeah, my time is better spent putting letters together if if that's what you know some people yeah. still do they put their own letters together yeah like if you have like a 10 million dollar home i don't think you'll ever see that owner unless it's like a farm owner in which case okay i can understand he's the farmer but like if you have a luxury 10 million dollar home it would be jaw dropping if you saw the owner mowing his own lawn because if He's like, okay, it's 300 bucks per week. And that is high for around here. But, like, if they're doing the bushes and they're doing this and that, okay. And if it's a big property. But if it's two hours every Saturday times, say you're in a, a warm climate year-round, 52. How many hours is that? You're looking at 104. A, yeah, 104. Yeah, 104 hours spent. Yeah. So that is about four days. Right. Mowing the lawn a year. Oh my God. Right. And it's it's one thing if like you buy back your time in other avenues because you like mowing the lawn. Like some people love landscaping. Yes. Like like you know if that's like your therapy, if that's like your thing, a hundred percent. But then there's things like tasks like doing your laundry, right? People will pay somebody to clean their house every Saturday and do the laundry. People will um like dry cleaning like i i all my suits i hang them on my door outside in a weatherproof bag and they pick it up on tuesday and drop it off on thursday they are clean right and like it is so worth it because i'm always wearing suits and so it's like trying to bring it even just bring it to the dry cleaner is time it's out of my way and they just take it you know what it's one of those things where it's like i remember a long time ago um, I think I think it might have been Josh or you or somebody. Somebody posted something. Now, I think it was Josh when he moved out, and he had said like, "I'm moving out well before I probably should or have the means to, but I need to do it to put myself into a new mindset." Like, and I I feel like it's the same thing. It's like you know you bought the car before it 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 really made sense financially. You bought the suits before it made sense you started outsourcing parts of your life before it made financial sense but it made sense for the plan right it was yeah. like it was part of the plan and the plan doesn't always follow what the finance what the finances at that time call for and it's a matter of having i feel like and correct me if i'm wrong like enough trust in yourself without really much of a track record either 
I mean, you had a bit of a track record with the car detailing and things like that, so you could trust yourself a little bit more to make sure that, you know, I I now have a responsibility. Yeah. Like a car payment to make. But the reality is that still takes blind faith to a degree in yourself. Because yeah. especially in an area where it's not guaranteed money. I mean, you need to make sure that you make every dime of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's investing in yourself. And um, Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank speaks about like he will overspend on personal things right like you could eat at mcdonald's every single day and save yourself so much money by literally buying like a mcchicken for a dollar but why don't you do it because you care about your health it's like people that get their hair cut every week they care about their image and like they'll overspend on those categories because they're investing in themselves it's like there's maybe no actual bottom line that analytical people could say, yep, there's an ROI on getting my hair cut every single week. But you come across cleaner when things look cleaner, right? Like when you're meeting a new client, it's not, oh, he hasn't had a haircut in three weeks, four weeks. It's always clean shaven. It's always this or that. Like to overspend on those categories because you're investing in yourself. No, I, I I like that a lot. I like the um, I think mindset above all. That's why I you know I, that's why I put fitness above everything. Yeah, that you know that's why. I feel like that's been hand in hand with my career. Like as it's really started to take off, it was like so did fitness, because like it was the only time that I really had to myself myself. I've answered plenty of phone calls at the gym, and texts and whatnot. But it's um, it's just like investing in yourself because like you would never go to a personal trainer that is fat. No, no, oh no. <laughs> if there is a personal trainer that is fat, get out of the industry <laughs> right now, please. Because if you're gonna try to tell me how to be fit, I will laugh. Like I'm walking away. Hang on, is... but you know what's funny though? You know what's funny though is. Everybody tends to listen to the poor person for financial advice. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. Because we're, we just, people in general are notorious for that. That just made me think of that because I, I hear so many people say, oh, my, my dad told me not to do this. My mom told me not to do that. I go, well, your dad and your mom are, 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 I don't want to sound like an asshole. Yeah. Saying but this, it's but like, your, 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 your dad and your mom are not the right people to be looking back to for financial advice it's like same idea with the fat uh the fat personal trainer yeah or 100%. or or like the dermatologist that has a face full of acne yeah like yeah i'm sorry it, you know it's a problem some people have but it's like yeah it, it's you gotta fit the part you gotta fit the part that's why fitness has been huge for me fitness has just been like my number one go-to it hasn't even been like a physical. It's been like a mental too. That, well, that's that's like, why I got in. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's another thing is like Ryan Serhan has spoken on it. He's like, I've done plenty of multi-million dollar deals with millionaires and they want to bring in their parents. They want to bring in their inspector, their relatives, their lawyer. And it's just like so much work. And then he's like, and I will deal with billionaires. And like percentage wise, maybe they're spending 10 million on like the millionaire side and the other person could be spending 200 million, right? So like relative to their income, 
or what they have for assets. But the billionaire is not going to bring everyone and their mother into the deal. They're not going to bring their attorney. They're just going to review what they need to and get the deal done because time is so important to them. Right. It's like I'm not going to – like I found it in my career as well that I've worked with million-dollar buyers that have no problem just signing an exclusive buyer agency agreement with me, working with me, or like – being very good at communication and understanding they'll they'll sit back and say you're the realtor you tell me what you think this is worth you tell me because you're always the one like i would not go to a doctor and tell them what i think why does everyone think that they know more about real estate when i literally like you could tell me a home right now that's for sale in salem or manchester or anywhere in between and i probably know it i've maybe seen it I probably pull the property disclosures on it. Like, it, it, then these people they'll they'll see three homes and they think they're some expert, or their parents bought back in 1999, and their parents are some expert because they're homeowners. No, it's yeah. like the people with money. They'll delegate things that they know that they're not number one at, and they will delegate to people that they know are, and. So they'll be like, okay, what's your advice? I have yet to ever come across somebody that has a budget under $300,000 looking for a condo, really sit back and say, what do you think this is worth? What do you think we should offer? How do we get the winning offer? Ever. Because they always think that they're number one. I've had so many buyers in that or under that price range that want to give me shit for certain things. Right. That are reading through the contract. Oh my gosh, do I owe you 2% buyer's agency fee? And I'm like, uh, I'm not going to charge you. Probably because your budget's so low and we're squeezing this deal. But it's like, I'm not charging you. And they're like, oh, well, it reads weird, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, that's just letting you know I'm getting paid from the listing side. I've worked with multi million dollar buyers and they don't even question it. Right. They know your time is valuable. Well, I think there's two things about not the first thing is that you know I think that one of buying back your time is really the the ultimate hack in terms of allowing yourself to progress in life because if you if you stay trying to micromanage everything in your life, you have no time to progress. You you're only in a management phase. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that has to do with a millionaire's mindset in their intuition versus a billionaire's mindset and intuition. The billionaire's gotten much better at reading people right away. So the reason why they have more trust is because they, when they meet you, they get an initial feeling, I trust this person. Yeah. They know what trust looks like because they've done it so many times. They've met so many different kinds of people in so many different environments for so many different purposes. And you know, I think the more you start to learn how to adapt to your intuition, it's a bit easier, right? Like you meet somebody and you say, you know what? He said all the right things. He checked everything on my criteria box for trust. So it's not worth me worrying over. This is why I'm hiring an agent, but I'm not going to hire the wrong agent. If I don't feel, if I don't feel good about them, I'm just going to tell them I'm not going with them. Yeah. Right. It's like, you know, and I think that, that, that like the buyers you were talking about who, 
always want to micromanage the deal. It's like, listen, you're not, number one, you're not allowing for your intuition to play a part in your life. So you're always micromanaging and you're so used to micromanaging that there's no room for trust. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I really like that because that makes so much sense. Like I could meet a buyer right now and I could tell you without even asking them what their timeline is, I could tell you what their timeline is and if they're ever going to buy. Like I am so good at reading people and I never really trusted it until like this year. I've met so many clients and I'm like, yep, they are definitely going to buy in the next two weeks. Like I can just, I, I, I get it. And then I've had people that are, tell me they're going to buy in the next two weeks and I've been working with them for six months. Right. Like I can just tell within like the first 10 minutes of meeting somebody, not even, I can tell their timeline. I can tell their budget. Um, I can tell like, cause when you're first meeting a client, you may be meeting them at the, at the property and the property is worth say, I don't know, 500,000. And you have the questions like, have you looked into financing? Have you looked into possibly a proof of funds? Like, how are we going to go throughout this sale? And so I can already tell by the way someone talks, simply by the way they talk and the way they like stand everything about them, the way they come across, if they are going to meet that budget and it's going to work. And it's just, it's, it's not a bad thing, but people are just so easy to read in that aspect. I've really been able to figure that out in the last year. So like, I don't even ask people really what their timeline is. It's just too easy. Right. Every once in a while, you come across a person that's very hard to read. And I mean, at that point, okay, you're going to have that. But there's people that are just like, you can tell they're going to drag their feet throughout everything and they're going to find the perfect property right and then when the perfect property comes up there's another perfect property right and it's like you pick one yeah i don't know is that the would you say that that is a skill that you can acquire or a skill that you're born with um i would definitely say acquire i would definitely say acquire because um who I was when I was a kid versus who I am now is like so totally different. Like I'm, I'm most definitely not like the most extroverted person ever, but I'm not the most introverted person ever. And I would say like, I have become more extroverted as I've gotten into the industry because that's what it requires. And like when I was in like school, like I would say middle school and below, like I was not the extroverted person at all. I was very introverted and you probably wouldn't even really know that by the way I carry myself now or the way I talk. Like there's definitely situations where I can see myself I'm like, yo, that was the most introverted thing I've ever done. Like that conversation was not the best I've ever had, but um, like I've definitely taught myself to be that way. And so I don't think it's... I think it, it is a, absolutely a skill that you can teach yourself. Like, um, uh, what's the guy, Wolf of Wall Street? What's his Jordan name? Jordan Belfort. Yes. He always talks about tonality, right? And being in sales. And I mean, I guess, like, yes, I'm in sales, but it's like, 
I'm not really here to sell homes, right? right. Like it, it doesn't really make sense. I'm here to sell somebody on why they should use me versus another agent because any other agent can get you the house. I mean, yes, maybe they'll have more competitive strategies or this or that. Brian Stern always talks about nobody wants to be sold. They want to shop with friends. And so nobody wants to walk into a house and be like, this is the one for you. You should buy it. This is the one. If I can tell, you can very easily read somebody like, like what they're looking for. I met a client two weeks ago and we were looking at the first property and he was talking about his property. He was showing me pictures of his yard work. I hadn't even seen the inside of this house. And we're looking at this property in Derry. And I'm like, this is not the one for you. And he's like, what? I'm like, it's not. I'm like, yes, it's very close to what you're looking for in terms of location. Because he's looking for like Derry, London Derry, Wyndham. But I'm like, this is not the property. Because what you're showing me is the most pristine landscaping I've seen. He's talking about he put in this walkway. He did this and that to the house. He is a very detail-oriented person. And you could tell a very non-detail-oriented person lives there. Floors are scratched. Place smells like pets. There's hamsters in the basement. Like, it was just like there was water outside. Siding was just like moved and it was like wrong. And there was just like so many little things that we could nitpick all day about. And... I knew it off the bat. First time meeting him, what type of person he is. The second he showed me those pictures, I'm like, this is not it. And he was taken back to the fact that I even said that. Because most people, like, you go see a house, people think it's like sales, like, oh, you should buy this. You go to used car dealership, this is the one for you. Right. And so we went and saw a second property. Nope, I don't like it. That one had a horrible smell. And the siding looked vinyl on the pictures, but it wasn't. It was like a clapboard. And he has a vinyl-sided house built in 2015. I'm like, your house is like basically as new as it gets. And so we're looking at homes in the mid-80s, and these people didn't take care of them. I'm like, you would be downgrading by a lot right. to get into these homes. They may be very close to location that you're looking for, but not like at all what your standards are. And so like – Jordan Belford talks about it and he's like tonality is everything because you can be talking to somebody but you have to match somebody's tone like if somebody's like super enthusiastic about something be enthusiastic but if you're like oh yeah I can show you that house and they're like super enthusiastic about it they're gonna be like what is you throw them off yeah you throw them off and like if vice versa and they're like super okay yeah saturday works i'm looking like awesome yeah see you saturday at 11 a.m like no that'll like freak him out you have to meet that and then he talks about like making something more personal and almost sounding like a secret like something like you're just telling somebody is whispering is like i'm not like i'm not saying like whisper in someone's ear but like if you just bring your tone down and you're like and this property it has this and that and you know what's going in next door is the nicest restaurant that is locally known, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And like, you just, you're like, your tonality's high, bring it low. It's like, and it's like when you make content, right? And you make a reel and you, you cut from different camera angles, you cut to different lightings, you put those overlay videos on. 
it's keeping the engagement, that up and down tonality. Yeah. And it's also emphasizing, right? Like like you can't highlight a word when you're talking. Yes. So but you, you can you, highlight it by lowercasing it. Lowercasing yeah. it. Exactly. Because it's like we talk at a certain monotone and ninety nine percent of the time it's not okay to just scream. Yeah. In the middle of your sentence. <laughs> yes. So the only way to emphasize it is to come down like that. Yeah. And it, it, it emphasizes whatever it is that you're trying to push. So like you said, it's a three bed, two bath, you know, whatever. You give them whatever it yeah. is that you're looking for. And the best part, they're putting a restaurant next door. And you maybe not don't go down that low. But, yeah. but the idea is that, you know, now now they're going to question. I feel like sometimes you could use it to give them some mystery. Like, wait, why did he emphasize that? Is yeah. that a good thing? Is that something I should be looking out for? Exactly. This you know is I mean? literally all, this is something that we learned at Realty One Group. Like, this is, like, training that we've been, like, tonality, like, everything. And so, to take these courses, like, it's it taught me a lot of things. So, like, I apply them to situations all the time. Like, um, I mean, I guess you could use the tonality thing. You absolutely can use it in real estate. But, like, some of the more easy things to think about is, like, if you're buying a car and they're, like, this car is $50,000. But if you buy it today, I'll give it to you for forty eight. And it's like, yeah, is, so that, it's, is that a good deal? Right. It so already sounds like It's a good also deal. where you start <laughs> as well. Like, you wouldn't want to say, well, I mean, I guess in theory, it just, that wouldn't be as compelling if you said, I'll give this car to you for 48000 Usually it's fifty. It doesn't sound like you're getting a good deal. Yeah. For some reason. But if you say, it's 50000 you heighten their emotion. Shit, it's fifty grand. But I'll give it to you for less. You always want to impress somebody. You always want to have the shock factor. Yeah. And that's tonality. That, that, that's a form of tonality in not necessarily in like a vocal way as much as just a strategic tonality. You set their tone, their vibe yeah. high and impress them low. I watched a, a little reel yesterday, and maybe it's on other people's timelines, but it was Shaq, and he bought a motorcycle for like 50 grand. And so he drove it to some club, and people were asking him how much he paid for it. And he was like, I paid 150 for it. And so he knew the business owner. And so he's like, and the business owner was like, why did you tell him that? And he's like, because when they come to you, and they're expecting to pay 150 and you give them it for, to 100 like, y- you sound like the man. A $50,000 discount, and I get the same bike that Shaq has. But he really just upsold them $50,000, but made the business owner look like he was giving a, a steal right. from 150 to 100 Yeah, so he set the price. And that's not a pull everybody has, but that's absolutely just another strategy when you do have leverage. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's setting the perceived value much, much higher yeah. than it is. And, you know, th- th- that's why we make offers. That's why, like, the way I make offers on – on properties, it's like, you know, I mean, it's tough to make offers horrendously low right now, just because yeah. they don't even get looked at. But you know, there is a, there is a strategy behind it. It's very simple. It's it's like, listen, if you're listing this at three hundred, and I want to close on it for two fifty, I'm not gonna offer you two fifty right away. Yeah, that'd be stupid. If I offered you two fifty, that's when the negotiation starts. Yep. Right, and the same idea with car sales, same idea with Shaq's bike. It's like, 
He knew that it, nobody was going to pay 150 for it, but if he at least said it was 150, people will think that they're getting a deal. It's the perceived value is 150, so anything less than that is a deal. It's a yeah. steal. So I like that. I like that a lot. Um, all right, closing out here a little bit. Um, a couple things I like to do. Number one is I like to get your th- one, three, five, and ten year goals. This doesn't have to be exclusive to business or real estate. It okay. can be. It can be whatever you want. All right. I'll um. So I'll do like business and then personal separately. So I guess my one year, I'm gonna go calendar year. So December, right? So a couple months from now, um, is to do anywhere from thirteen million to fourteen million in sales volume. Um, what were the the other numbers like the two two year? One, three, five, and ten. One, three, five. Okay, so um, my three-year goal is to be doing thirty million a year. My five-year goal in real estate is, I would probably say, you're from sixty to seventy-five million, and in five years I'll have two multifamilies, um, and my ten-year is to that's when I want my custom house built. That's when I want that crazy wild house that I dream of because like I'm going to bring in a builder. I'm going to have like the craziest lot. Like I will tear down a 3 million dollar beachfront home. I do not care cuz I'm going to put a 20 million dollar home right there. Like it's going to be crazy. I've already it's like it's dreamt up in my mind and like it will only have two garage bays, but they're not going to be like normal. It's going to be a glass garage door, two of them side by side, and you can pull your car into park it like a normal garage. But then there's another garage door further in, right? Another glass garage door. And you can open that. And then when you drive your car in there, it's a showroom as well as a a lift to work on cars. Like Manny, um, oh, what's his last name? Guy with all the Bugattis and and um, he's got the showroom first. Kind of, yeah. I I honestly now that I've explained it, I guess it really sounds like Tony Stark's house, um, or or that yeah. So like his garage, like that is the dream. Um, as for bedrooms, bathrooms, I haven't gotten there yet because I care more about the all garage. the cars. I'm the same way, dude. Like I I started building. I pulled up Minecraft, believe it or not, to build my dream house on it. Yeah, and it's like oh, a giant awesome. barn dominium. The only reason I want a barn dominium is because the warehouse size garage. Yes. Like I want yeah, a gym cool. in there. I want a bar man cave, and then I want all all the boats, and then the cars yeah. in a certain spot. Like that's all I think about too. Yeah. I want the infinity pool, the hot tub, the sauna. Yeah. I even want a small lap pool in the basement. I want a full gym, 100%, because it's a 15-minute, 20-minute drive to the gym for me. Like, it's actually quite far. So I spend 40 minutes a day going to the gym, and that's not going to the gym. That's right. just driving. So, like, to cut that back and have a full gym in the house would be crazy. I don't think I could ever give up going to the gym. Something about the gym atmosphere. Maybe there, not there, Planet Fitness. There definitely is. Not Planet Fitness, Yeah, there's, but... there's absolutely, like, I love meeting people at the gym. It's fantastic. And I would not lose my gym membership. I would still keep it. Yeah. But it's just like there are so many times I find that like even Planet Fitness that's 24 hours is not 24 hours. Oh, it's not anymore. No, it's yeah. ridiculous. The only one that I can think of is Nashua. And the hey, amount but... of the Haverhill, 
No, I was just saying it, it, it at least keeps us oh. going to bed at a fairly decent hour. Because if it was 24 hours, dude, I don't think I'd ever sleep. So the Nashua one, um, Col- something Coliseum Ave or whatever, that one's 24 hours. The amount of times I have driven 40 minutes to Nashua from my house at midnight. And my dad is like, what on earth are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to the gym. He's like, can you do that tomorrow? And then I'm like, no, because then I'd be going to the gym tomorrow. Right. Or, or yeah, I will be doing it tomorrow, but I'm also doing it today. Yeah. It's like, Even yeah. though it's like technically tomorrow, it's like one in the morning. To me, the day hasn't end, ended and still I'm sleeping. Like, that, yeah, no, that's the benchmark. That's absolutely yeah. the benchmark. Like minimum going to the gym that day. And I mean, to get a little bit back on topic with like personal um, life, I guess I, I not, I wouldn't say definitely not in the next three, but four months I'd be moved out of the house. Um, so I would just refer back to real estate for the personal goal. Um, I guess I would just say like on like a, a very small level, like meal prep better because the amount of times I'm eating my first meal and it's 8 p.m. Like yeah. it's way too common. And like, yes, I may be regimented and still go to the gym, but you're never going to gain any muscle eating at 8 p.m. to midnight right. at all. Because like there's so many times I will go to the office. I'm just slammed with work. I'm driving around here, there. I literally don't have time to eat. And so I guess to give myself a lunch break and just meal prep, like give myself like a couple hours every week where I spend the time making the food because I will find myself starving. By the meal preps. Yes. That's another thing I want to delegate in the future because I'm delegating so many things at once right now that that will be the next thing. A hundred percent. I was going to say that that would make the most, I'm ready to do that. Yes. It's by the meal preps. Yes, absolutely. Um, so my, my three year goal would definitely be absolutely have a multifamily. My goal, um, is to have that not this calendar year, maybe not next calendar year, but like the very beginning of the next calendar year. Um, and so my three year goal would be have my first three family, um, or maybe a duplex, depending upon location and purchase price and condition, because that matters too. Like if it was like the perfect duplex and you got it for like 300, right. which is way off the market, probably a teardown almost at that point. Right. Like it would have to be fully gutted. But like to at least have the first multifamily or investment property. Um, five-year goal is to have definitely the second because it should not be hard after that after you have the first one it's just easier um and then um my 10-year goal 34 by that point yeah i i don't even know but sometimes i'm like i don't even know what i'm doing an hour from now yeah right (laughs) yeah it's like i'm referring back to my schedule all the time i feel like i'm so busy that I'll tell friends I'm like put that in my calendar send me a calendar oh invite. dude I, I always I tell friends like they're like you want to hang out I'm like yeah let me check my schedule all right yeah can you text me to confirm that so I yeah. can put it in like I'll do that all the time too yes yep and I'll send I'll even do it myself because I know people that I have friends that won't put it in their um, calendar or send me the invite I'll send it to them 
and like I'll send them the request to accept it or whatnot. Cause like it's like today I, I was so busy in the office. My client calls me and they were just talking through some things and I'm like, Oh my God, I have to be in there at their house in 35 minutes. It was a 30 minute drive. If they didn't call me and like, I wasn't looking at my calendar. I would not have been there on time. Like there's days where I'm, living by my calendar and some days i'm just like swamped with stuff in the office and unfortunately those days i'm not as on top of my calendar and so to miss those deadlines would be crazy so it's okay i'm doing it this this time i'm going to move going to the gym before or after or i'm going to do this it's like still going to get done but i just need to know when right yeah if you don't mind me asking how many hours a day do you think you work (laughs) um too many um 14 okay 15 maybe 16 okay because like if i'm not working and i have a free moment i have anxiety i do too yeah that's why i ask because i i I don't i feel like i'm not alone in that but i like to ask people that because it's like it's like that's what this business calls for is a ridiculous amount of hours we work yeah. more than doctors. I'm convinced we work more than doctors. Well, the thing is doctors will work like 40 hours like straight. Right. Like for like four days and then have like three days off or something like that. Right. But no, I, li- I like asking that because, you know, I, I like also setting the tone for the audience. Like understand that this business is not a no. cakewalk. No, because I, I wouldn't say when I got into it that I thought it was a cakewalk because I have family in real estate. But I thought it would be easier. And I mean, I guess it's, I kind of have a handicap because I have no sphere. Nobody like right off the bat trusts me or wants to go with me. They'd go with the family member that's already been in the business for so long. So when they think of real estate, they think, oh, you got into it because of your family. No, we actually all compete with each other. Like we're not even at the same brokerage. And so like I thought it was going to be easier. And then I realized quite quickly that it's not. And yet. I'm spend yes, absolutely. Like you're putting in the time now so that you have the time later. It's I, I compare it to like and, and and hear me out because it's a cliche at the beginning. A very steep hill. Oh yeah. It's a very steep climb. Once you get to the turning point, like everybody says it's momentum down, but it's enough momentum that the small hills, the small obstacles are no longer a climb, they're a cruise right over. And it's like it's the big hill it's depending on how far you want to how tall you want to make this hill right how big you want to grow that foundation will dictate all the rest of those obstacles that are on the downhill yeah how much more difficult right because the taller the hill the taller the drop and the more momentum you follow so the bigger you build the foundation the easier it is so if you build the foundation this tall some of these humps down the road might actually slow you down if you build a foundation twice as tall those humps are nothing yeah my broker has talked about it before he's like in the beginning with real estate it's oh my gosh i have a deal oh my gosh i don't have a deal oh my gosh it's like back and forth right it's getting to that point where you're like this right right it's It's like a pendulum it's like oh my gosh i have 10 deals i have five i have 10 it's like right you're just getting to that point 10 20 yeah exactly and like you can continue to climb that but it depends on how ambitious you are because so many people are, 
fine with doing five a month, right? Like, I'm not saying that I'm doing five a month. I've done five in a month, but it's like, it's still like, I want 20 a month. Right. <laughs> like, oh, want, yeah. It's like the, the, the goals and the ambitions are so high. Oh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm the same way. I was writing down my goals and I'm like, like in, um, I want to I want to flip like 20 or 30 homes a year in the next couple of years. Right? Like yeah. I want to have 30 doors in the next couple of years. It's like the volume needs to grow immensely and so it's a matter of building that foundation in essence. But um all right, in the name of time, I have one last tradition that I do yep with everybody. And so what I do is the last guest I ask them a question from the prior one. Oh, that's good. And then, obviously, they get to leave, so you get to leave a question for the next guest. I'm not going to tell you who was on last week, and I'm not going to tell you who's coming on next week. <laughs> so it whatever you ask, it needs to be general enough for whatever industry that they're in. They can answer it and provide value to my audience, which is young entrepreneurs our oh, age, sweet. younger than us, and slightly older. Yes. All right, so the last guest asked, what does success look like to you, and when did you begin to understand what it meant, and has it ever changed for you? So we can go one piece at a time if you want. Okay. So read me the beginning. So what does success look like to you? Um, I would say, like, yeah, all of our goals are to make a lot of money, but it's really, at the end of the day, it is... To be comfortable. I, do, I never want to... Like, I want to be able to walk out and purchase a new car cash if I if I need to. I want to... And if I do ever decide to have kids, not blink an eye at how much they cost. Because, boy, do they cost a lot of money. They're so expensive. So, like, to never be like, oh, no, we can't do that right now. Maybe we can do that another time. Like... And it's not that I, if I had kids, I'd want to like spoil them because I feel like I'd be a pretty strict dad. Like, no, you're not getting anything for free. I think Kevin Hart is the one that's like, um, my kids aren't getting any of my money. I mean, I wouldn't go to that extent. No, I, I'd leave this off the butt. Exactly. Yeah. Like I want to build that like generational wealth, but it's just, it's being comfortable, right? It's not worrying about. I want to be able to go on vacation this year. Can I afford it? A hundred percent I can afford it. Like, I'm not even going to look at my bank account. I don't want to think about eating out every day. And not that I want to go out and eat somewhere, but like you could, like we talked about, is like meal prepping, having paying for those meals. And like to not think about it. Like Ryan Serhant at his office, he's got a kitchen. And there's meal prep in there every day. He's not the one that makes it. He doesn't have the time to do that. He's delegating all of these small little tasks. And so he can use his time more wisely. I guess just value my time better and live comfortably. Live in a place of abundance. Yeah. Okay. When do you understand that version of success? When did I or like... Yeah, when did you begin to understand what it meant? Hmm. I don't know. 
like when did I understand that it was it wasn't just having the fancy car it was having the right. time uh, honestly in this year so early yeah like oh, sorry not early late but uh recent yeah I think it really came when like I was actually starting to really do business and I was like okay like things are turning but I have no time on my hands to do these little things and so I'd start delegating them um so then I realized I had just seen so many videos on like time over money because it's just so important like we only have so much of it so I'm not going to spend my time doing these little things because it's going to eat my eat into my business and my personal life and so to understand that was huge and so like my mindset a year ago was oh no I can do that myself I'm going to save the money and so now it's I'd rather spend doing other things right and since you kind of figured out what that version of success was this year I assume I know the answer to this already but has that version ever changed or has your version of success ever changed yeah absolutely 100% because like before it was just I want the nice house right. and now it's like shallow yeah like I I would be okay with having like a an average house but only in the sense that I know I can afford the really nice house. Right. Because I don't mind living very well within my means, but it's just knowing that I can and that I'm comfortable and that my time is spent doing better things. Right. Yeah. I like that. The abundance mindset. Yes. What do you got for the next guest? Oh, it's a tough one because like, Oh, my mind is so real estate, so I gotta like get out of that and just think of like some business questions or lifestyle, anything. Hmm. And take as much time as you need because I can cut. You know, it's just a huge break. I can cut it out. Okay. Hmm. And I have a great question. At what point is enough enough? Right? Because, like, all entrepreneurs usually have the mindset that, like, once you're at that goal, there's another one. There's a higher one. Right. Like, at what point are you comfortable with what you have? And could you see yourself, like, relaxing at that point? Or would you continue to push? Because, like, like, Ryan Serhan, he, he didn't need to do all those deals. Right. Like, he could have done half of that and been very comfortable. And I guess another thing I'd ask is, have you ever put your health behind your business? Like, have you ever put, like, your business over that? Because, like, that's another thing, like, you should never do. Because maybe the next person's into fitness. You know what's even better? It's just passion. I wrote down, have you ever chosen passion over health? doesn't even matter if it's business. Yeah, that's good. You know what I mean? It's like the only person I so far I've had on that's not like self-employed or business-oriented is a psychology major. And all those questions would apply. 
Awesome. I'm going to uh, end it here. No, I'm well, yeah, yeah, and, 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 and a, in a second. No, we're here until midnight. Yeah, no, we have another two hours. Um, no, Let's no, start I start right now. Oh, that was, yeah, that was just the intro. Awesome, guys. Welcome to the <laughs> intro of the, this podcast. Um, please enjoy the next four hours. Yeah. As I run out of space, as I'm watching my gigabytes just drop. Oh, you can see it? I have it on the screen. Oh. Yeah, because every time so far, I'm glad it hasn't happened yet. Knock on wood, it stays that way. I run out of storage midway, and I have to go transfer it to my hard drive. Really? Yeah. Oh. Took like half an hour. So, and that, with that being said, Andrew, I appreciate you coming on today. Yeah. I appreciate all the value. You brought. Oh, it's awesome. This is this is my first podcast I've ever been on. Is it? Yeah. Well, you kicked ass on it. I um, I just wanted to tell you too. I know. You know, you and I have known each other for a year now, roughly. Yeah. And, you know, if I could give you any credit, I think it'd be that I'm genuinely impressed with where you were when we met a year ago and where you are today, where you've not just from not just on the real estate front. I mean, the real estate front, you're killing it. You're killing it on the personal branding front, on the fitness front, everything. I, you know, I've seen a shitload of growth. And yeah, it's very telling of the people that you surround yourself with, which is awesome. But I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 It's uh it's been inspirational, man. I appreciate you coming yeah. on. Is there anything you want to plug before we uh cut it off? Um not really. I mean any social you're looking for a home? Hit me up. Listed by Whalen. Listed by Whalen. On yes. Instagram. Yep, my suit. This one only says listed, but my new one says listed by Whalen on the inside. That's such a flex. Yes. Uh question. Is this mine? Yeah, did I not tell you at the beginning? No. I'm sorry. I did not know this water was for me. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. That's awesome because I could have used that water. Dude, I, I was <laughs> looking at you and I'm like, oh. should I remind him? I thought I told you. I'm sorry, man. I am so thirsty. Go right for now. a chug. All right. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Awesome.